Yeah, thank you. It's awesome. Man, it's so good to be back. Wow. It's awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Rick, for inviting me. Appreciate uh, the invitation. This, this, this thing is wiggling a little bit. I'm going to go to the handset. Is that okay? Sorry about that. I just prefer the handset. How are you guys doing? We're doing good? No? Can you hear me now? Amen. Praise God. You're right. I never have needed help being amplified. That's right. Praise Jesus. Um, man, where do we start? You know, I, I, um, I've been given the, the, uh, the opportunities and privilege to, um, Get to know different people, different, different churches, different pastors up and down California, Southern California, Northern California, Central California have been given the opportunity to go and preach to some of these churches and even going back uh, south to Mississippi. And one thing that I see on a consistent basis is, and I want to say this is a pandemic issue. Um, churches are getting smaller and smaller. Churches are becoming, they're dwindling down. And so you have to ask yourself, why is that? Why is it that churches are becoming, you know, small? What, 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 and, 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 and the natural thing to ask yourselves as leaders is, what is it that I'm doing? I'm doing something wrong. What, what is it that... And so leadership turns to each other and they say, what is it that we're doing that is causing this, this issue? And the truth of the matter is that it's not anything that the church is doing. Is that in the end times, the Bible says that, you know what? Things are just going to be that way. And like Frank said a, mo a moment ago, we are in, you are in, the right opportunity, a small church, because this is where you turn to each other and you rely on each other more so than any other time. Where the intimacy of becoming brethren and being one with one another is such, you know, a, a, a unified thing to do that, you know what, it, it just brings about a whole different experience. And so I would challenge you, you know, to, to take this opportunity to come to yourselves, you know, and become one, united, you know, more so intimately than any other time and say, you know what, we stand as a church, we stand together. Because churches, I'm telling you, it's not just, you know, here in Southern California, it's around the states. I, I saw it with my own eyes. I'm asking people, why, why is this happening? And we have to go back to the, to the scriptures. Amen? We need to understand and realize that this is, you know, the enemy is working super hard. You know, he knows, the Bible says that he knows that his time is short. And so he's doing anything he can to divert 
and diverse and distract and everything else that he does. Amen? That's not part of my message. I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, though we will be talking about a church in Revelation in particular today. But I kind of wanted to start off, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7. And I don't know, uh, uh, Paul. Wow, look at you. Speedy. I didn't, give, I didn't give him the scriptures. I didn't give him the scriptures this morning. Dude, that's awesome. What, what, you know, thank you for bringing that up. Because I don't, wait, what, what version do you read? Because I was reading my, because I was reading my, my Bible when you were reading yours. And nowhere did it say, don't do this right now. I, I was reading my version. I was like, well, mine doesn't say don't do this right now. But apparently yours did because you were reading. You said, don't do this right now. But anyway, whatever version you folks read is fine. In fact, you know what? Let's read it together. Amen? Okay, let's start. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have, sinned. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless our time together today. We thank you, Lord God, for the things you're doing and the things you're going to do. Father, for this is not over. We have... We have time with you, Father God, and we ask you, Father God, that you will just give us, Father, discernment, wisdom, as, as, as Frank greatly said earlier, direction, Father, into where we ought to go as a church, not only here at Joy Christian Center, but in the church across the board, that um, we become a church that is on fire for you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. There's some worldly proverbs that maybe perhaps all of you uh, have heard at one time or another. I'm going to share some with you. I'm going to start off the uh, proverb or the saying. They're actually sayings. But I want you to finish them for me, okay? So we're going to do this together as, uh, as a, in concert. Ready? Here it is. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. That's right. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. That's correct. Another one you've probably heard before is, a fool and his money are soon parted. These are all worldly sayings. Not that you're worldly, I'm just saying these are all worldly sayings. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Wow. Here's one that I hadn't heard before, or maybe I hadn't just forgot. But there's an old saying which says, the good is ever 
The good is ever the enemy of the best. Let me repeat that again. The good is ever the enemy of the best. What does that mean? That means that we will settle for good instead of attaining the best. The good is ever the enemy of the best. I think it's true, and it couldn't be more truer nowadays than in the church. In God's kingdom, the, 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 the believers that are going through following this, this walk that we have, you know, walking in, in Christ, you know, this couldn't be truer, that the best is ever the en- the good is ever the enemy of the best. This is one of the devil's oldest schemes. Scripture tells us that we're not aware. We are not unaware of his schemes. It says that in Second Corinthians, Corinthians 2.11. We know the schemes that the, that the devil uses. Amen? We know that. We're not, we're not unaware of that. But, you know, rest assured that whenever, whenever God is doing his work at church or in our lives, surely thereafter is the enemy. He's there right behind us. Why? Because the scripture will tell us that he's like a roaring lion, seeking to devour, waiting for the opportunity to come in, waiting for that moment where we drop our guard. Or we look away because the Bible says keep your eyes focused on Jesus, right? And when we don't do that, then he finds the opportunity and that's when he comes in. He's very conniving that way. I learned a new word last month and I couldn't wait to use it or apply it to any subject in my conversations. And this word is called cursory. Who who has ever heard or knows what cursory means? Look at Paul. I knew you. I knew you probably know. Paul, what does cursory mean? Okay. Um, that's probably a, a different spelling, but okay, that's that's good. That's good. Here's what here's what it actually means, what, what I found out. Cursory, cursory, C U R S O R Y means hasty and therefore not thorough or detailed. Hasty, hasty, and therefore not thorough or detailed. And my point is that every time or any cursory study of the New Testament will show the devil employs many tactics. He will employ many tactics to do what? To either divert us or thwart the word of God. Whenever he can, he tries to introduce false doctrine. He'll start with that. If that doesn't work, false doctrine doesn't work, okay, then he introduces, you know, division, knowing that a house divided against itself will not stand. So division will come in. When that doesn't work, what else does he do? You know, he comes in with a nasty tool chest full of things like gossip, jealousy, Insecurity, pride, envy, good. 
unforgiveness. And he uses all of those things in the church. When that doesn't work, he'll cause God's people to take his eyes off of Jesus and the commandments that he has given us. Because every single one, those of you that have known me from, from, from previous years here at church, you know that I've always said, we have a commandment to do. We have special instructions given from our Lord Jesus Christ that we are to go out and make disciples of people. Teaching them everything that he has taught us. Sharing the word of God. And the enemy will bring in, you know, uncertainty. He'll say, like my wife shared this morning, you know, the flesh right away said, no, I'm not, I'm not worthy of doing that. How many of us have said that before? And let's be honest with ourselves. This is, we're a small group, you know. And if all of you say amen, the other person will not know that you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, we could all say amen together, all right. So, if you say amen, you're clear, you're good, you know, you're, you're like, you know. But if we can be true with ourselves, Right? How many times have we said that? I'm not worthy. No, not, not, not me, Lord. You must be, you know, talking to the person behind me just looking my way. Listen, when God's people refuse to allow sin in their midst, sin will also bring persecution and difficulties. This guy is, man, he's relentless. He does not stop. One thing after another, after another, after another. It's no wonder why people say, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here. And they'll sneak out the back door. Never to be seen in the church again because you know what? They're done. Maybe convicted, maybe just, you know, it's tough. Listen, this Christianity thing is tough. It's not easy. But I can tell you from my personal life, it's a lot better than where I've come from. It is a whole lot better. And Jesus didn't say, hey, come and, you know, come after me and, you know what, you're going to be all right. You're going to be my peeps. I'm going to, you know, we're going to, he didn't say that. He says, you want to come after me? He says, the birds have nests. This, that, and the other. He says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. You want to come after me? You're welcome. He also says in Luke that, you know what, if we want to come after him, he says, you know, you have to hate mother, father, son, daughter, even yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Um, no, somebody just said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ, read this prayer. Recite this prayer, and I'd be good. No. And although our job is to bring people into the kingdom and, 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 and share the love of Christ and tell them what Christ is about, one thing that the church has forgotten for a long, long, long time is the follow-up of making disciples. Listen, this is not part of my notes. I'm just, you know, the, I'm just whatever the Lord's given me. But uh, this... This, this New Year's Day, uh, on the 2nd, I started a new job. 
okay? To call me at my old job, you know, and somebody was saying, hey, uh, are you working? I said, yeah, I'm working. And they said, well, you know, uh, I don't know why I, didn't, I thought you weren't working. Anyway, we're hiring, blah, 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 and I brought up your name, and somebody that worked with you, you know, eight years ago remembers you and remembers how you know how well you work and, you know, what kind of uh, character you had with, you know, clients and coworkers and blah, blah, and they want to talk to you. I said, sure, okay, I'll go talk to them, you know. Long story short, they gave me the job. I, I, I left my, my job after 16 years, and I'm working. I started this job now. But you know what? Here's what I'm finding out. They're saying, okay, you know, this is what we're going to do. Blah, blah. Here you go. And they give me all this stuff, and they leave me alone. And I'm sitting like, uh, where's my training? Where's, how do, you know? And so now I have to go back to this, to this young girl who's been there, you know, a couple of years, and I'm asking her, hey, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And how do you do that? And that's a revelation of what Christianity is like. Because we will bring people into the kingdom and say, okay, you know what? You have been clean. You have been, you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Blood of the Lamb. Oh, well, you know, uh, you know you're, you're saved now. Okay, but what does that mean? Uh, well, you know, um, and so we give answers that we think are right. Why? Because we ourselves haven't been trained. We ourselves haven't been taught. We ourselves are only giving information of how we learned and how we maneuvered our way and how we used to fake it till we make it type of stuff. And so now, here's the ramifications of it. People are like, ah, oh, you know what, this is too hard. And they leave. When a, when a Christian walk, a strong Christian walk should be one of, you know, dedication, prayer, you know, sanctification, knowing what's right and wrong, and doing, you know, what God would expect of us. And I'm not saying you're not. I'm not saying the many people in the church aren't doing that. There's thousands of people that are. But you know, those thousands are a minuscule in comparison to the whole church itself. And so they hide or they're hidden in the numbers of, you know, the majority. They're like, eh, you know, whatever. Just, you know, just just do what Second Timothy does, you know, have a have a have a form of or it says have a form of godliness and you know, I just you know, it's like, reminds me of the, um, the guy in Avion. I'm sure, you know, you have been here long enough to remember this, this story I told, but it's the guy that, you know, came out of prison and he was looking for a job. And he was saying, you know, uh, my parole officer needs me to get a job, so I'm looking at the papers and I see that, you know, the zoo is hiring for a groundskeeper. And so I go to the groundskeeper and I say, hey, I go to the, uh, to the manager and say, hey, I'm, I'm here for the job. And he says, I'm sorry, you know, uh, the job's taken. We just hired somebody out to yesterday. But uh, he says, look, I really need a job. I, I, I'll do anything. He said, well, I'll tell you what, Coco, our gorilla, he's sick. He's at the vets. And so we need somebody to fill in the cage for Coco. So 
you know, you look pretty brawly, you look strong, you know. What if I give you a gorilla suit and you throw on that gorilla suit and, uh, you know, you be Coco for a, a few weeks? He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's childish. He says, well, I'll give you 100 bucks a day. Like, where's that gorilla suit? I said, let me, let me see that. And so he puts on the gorilla suit, and he has no idea what, what, what gorillas do. So he's standing in the cage, like, you know, and there's people gathering and stuff to see him. He's like, and then he starts to just, boom, boom. And, you know, as time goes on, you know, and days go on, and it's a week, and he starts acting like a gorilla. Woo, 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 woo. And he's going back and forth, and he's doing all this, and he's swinging in and out of the cage and whatever. And in one moment, he misses his handling, and he goes into the next cage. And he falls into the lion's den, where Leo the lion is now roaring at him. And he thinks to himself, man... If I start crying out right now, all these people that moved over to this side of the cage are going to know I'm not really a gorilla. But if I don't say anything, Leo the lion is going to eat me, so forget that. I'm going to start crying out for help, and he starts saying, help, help me, help me. And the lion's getting closer and closer, and he's saying, help me, help me. And the lion says, shut up, stupid, you're going to get us both fired. What's my point? What is my point in saying that? Not to make you laugh, of course it's funny. That we can act like something that we're really not. And Jesus addresses a church that's just like that because this church had everything going for them. They had it going on. They had evangelism. They hated the things that the Nickelodeons did, and so did he. They had, you know, all these things, and we're going to continue with our message, but that's my point, and I kind of got off subject. This is not, not my message today, but, um, or part of my notes, but I just want to make a point. Satan wants us to become so satisfied with where we are. He will allow us, or he will, he will actually come in and divert us, like I said, and he will take our, our eyes off of Jesus and of the commands that he has given us. And before now, before, you, before long, we just, we just become complacent. The church at Ephesus became complacent. Second Timothy 3, 5-7 says, Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, he says, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep in the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Talking about Ephesus. And Ephesus is a picture of what I believe is going on in the country today, nowadays. Because we have turned away from the true meaning of the gospel of Christ and teaching its truth from the pulpit for the sake of not offending people. For the sake of, you know, being walking, walking circumvently 
when the word says walk circumvently before the Lord. Preachers and teachers are now walking circumvently before the audience. And that's a tough sub subject to, to teach and preach. I know that. I know because, you know, I've, I've preached this and they haven't invited me back. It's a hard message. But it's one that needs to be said. It's one that needs to be told. It's one that, no, you know, there's a, the, the, there are circumstances and ramifications of not abiding in the things of Christ. And if we're really believers and if we really love the brethren, as the Bible says we should love one another, then my desire is to love you enough to say, hey, listen, what you're doing I think is not, you know, according to the scriptures of the Lord. Now, I will admit that years back, you know, I was more condescending. I was more cynical. I was more critical and I was more judgmental. And I would put my hand on my hip and say, you? You've been a Christian for 20 years and you? And the Lord showed me, well, what about you? And so I said, Lord, forgive me. But don't allow me not to share with people the things that are important. Because one day, you know, I was, I was invited um, two Thursdays ago. I went back to, to speak to the men's home that I graduated from in 2002. And so uh, I was uh, giving, giving the message, sharing the word of God. And at the end, uh, this, this young man came out very arrogant, very cocky like you know and he said well you know uh, I'm going to go to heaven and I said hey, well, we had a discussion and stuff and towards the end is when he said well you know I, I, I'm going to go to heaven I said you know what you're, you're right you are I said in fact we're all going to heaven and it's in heaven where we're going to give an account of everything we've done good or bad because he tried to tell me in conversation that uh, my thing was, you know, having a having a a, 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 a religion experience. I said, well, the fact is that you know what, we're all humans, you know, we're we're all we're all um, uh, everlasting uh, beings having a human experience. We're not humans having a religion experience or. Or, or, or a spiritual experience, we're all going to live eternally. I say, you don't have to know Christ to live forever. You can be a pagan and a heathen. You're going to live forever. Thing is, where are you going to live? And so that's a whole different conversation. But my point is that, you know, this is what we ought to do. We have to tell people in love, in love, listen, bro, I, 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 I just, I love you, man. Now, it's hard loving some people, you know. It, 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 it's difficult, you know, um, dealing with certain people. But you know what? We're, we're called to, to love them. And I'm experiencing, and I know that that's one of the hardest things to do. But uh, we're called to do that. Amen? Amen. Listen, all of the endeavors of humanity, there is only one thing which carries the absolute promise of God's unending blessing. Out of anything that we can do, okay, that's the expansion of the kingdom of God when we share our faith 
and make disciples of Christ. That's it. Matthew 28:19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, as I said earlier, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. He has promised to bless our efforts, to multiply them, and to give us success, but why then have some 80% of the churches in our country either reached a plateau or are in decline? Going back to our text, it tells us, it gives us a picture. You know, I wrote the same scripture down in, uh, in the Message Bible because I've, I've noticed that Message Bible is just more blunt, man. It's more like plain English. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be talking to a group of men at the men's home, and when I read out of my King James or, or New King James, they're looking at me kind of puzzled and frazzled, like, well, what does that mean? So I learned now that, you know, I, t I teach out of the Message Bible. I mean, you can't get plainer than that, or maybe you can. I just haven't found the verse. But listen to what the Message Bible says. It says, but you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you? Anyways, do you have any idea how far you have fallen? You have fallen a Lucifer fall. Turn back. Recover your, your dear early love. No time to waste, for I am well on my way to removing your light from the golden circle. He says, you do have this to your credit. You hate the Nicolosians' business. I hate it too. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words that the Spirit is blowing through the churches. I'm about to call each conqueror to dinner. I'm spreading a banquet of tree of life fruit, a supper plucked from God's orchard. That's pretty plain sometimes, you know. It just takes, you know, plain words to reach us and say like, wow, that's what that meant? What do you, what's wrong with you? Jesse, what's, what's wrong with you? Time to wake up. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that, you know, our redemption is nearer than, we, than when we once believed. Well, you know, I've been hearing near for a long time. I've been hearing the second coming of Christ is, is, is at hand. And, you know, my great-grandmother used to teach that. Okay, well. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand is as a day with the Lord. So, you know, if he died 2,000 years ago, I've said, you know, he's only been gone two days. We prepare longer for a trip, you know? So give, give, give that some thought. I want you to know, Joy Christian Center, one thing. That God is still here. God is still here. He's still in the midst. Okay? He's still in the midst. He's in the midst of your bewilder bewilderment. So that's, that's a big word. He's in the midst of your sorrow. He's in the midst of of your pain. He's in the midst of your uncertainty. He's in the midst of your rebuilding and he can surely someday or he, and he's in the midst of your rebuilding and he's certainly in the midst of your joy. 
he's in the midst. Churches are falling away, falling apart, declining, numbers are dwindling. That is a, that is a concern for the worldly church. Because I want to tell you, there is a worldly church out there. There's a church that all they care about is how many numbers do we have today? Oh, that's a big tithe. But he's still in the churches that, you know what, hold fast to his word. Like you said earlier, you know what, come hungry. Come hungry. I surrender. Well, I surrender. I surrender. No, Lord, I surrender. Lord. I surrender, Lord. Take this away from me. This thing that is a cancer inside of me that, that you hate, take it away from me. Deliver me, Lord. Give me life. Listen, it's okay to be Hezekiah's once in a while. To turn to the wall and cry and say, Lord, give me more time. He will do that. And sometimes when we're stubborn, bullheaded, whatever the deal is, you know, he will take it away harshly. Corey Tim Boone said, don't ever hold to anything so strongly that when he takes, that when he pries your fingers open, it hurts. Hold things, you know, lightly. Hold things lightly. Write the word of God in the tablet of your heart. Know it. So that when the enemy comes over and tries to tempt you like he did Jesus, you can say, it is written. It is written. Because you know what? It takes a lot of time to say, hold on, devil. I think it says it in here somewhere. And by that time, it could be too late. You say it is written. And boy, that's powerful. Amen? That's powerful. Three points I want to make, and then I'll let you go on and finish up your day. From our scripture, from what we see, one of the first things that we see is that Christ commands the church. He will command the church. Listen to what he says. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. I have not become weary. I would say that's a command. A, 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 not a command, but a, a commendation, you know? Would you agree? Look at what the church of Ephesus was doing. The church of Ephesus was not idle. They were very busy in the works of the Lord. They took a strong stand against heresy. They were well grounded in the word no doubt their pastor was also an expository pastor, Paul being who he was. They had withstood persecution and not fainted. That's something to be proud of. And I know from history 
this particular church, you've gone through some stuff. First, the, past, the passing of Pastor Wheatley. And how you went through some time, you know, looking back and forth, inviting pastors to come in and give, you know, stand-ins, you know, until you found yourself another pastor. Those were difficult times. Yet you stood together because you're still here. And now we look at things, you know, and it's almost like history is repeating itself. We've lost our pastor. Now what? Well, Christ is seeing that. He's saying, hey, you know what? You're holding together. You have people that are going to come in, and you know what? My word will be preached. Because you're not a church of numbers. You're not concerned with how much are we bringing in today. But rather, Lord, here we are. Holding together by your mercy and grace. Will you help me today? Will you lead me today? And he does. Why? Because he's a loving God. He's a compelling God. He's a man that he should not lie, the word says. He's faithful. Lo, I will not abandon you. I will be with you even to the end of the age. But we have a responsibility. Flip side of the coin. There's something that we need to do in order for everything to be in alignment with the word of God. So that when we get there, not if, when, he can say to us, well done, good and faithful. Enter into the rest of my father. Those are the words that we should be longing to hear. For the church of Ephesus, outwardly, they looked great. And Christ commanded them because nothing goes unnoticed by God. Nothing does. Your circumstances, my circumstances, how we are in this walk called Christianity, Everything that we do doesn't go unnoticed by God. And I said it before, I'll say it again. We are going to give an account of everything that we do. Here's the good news. It's never too late. You know, time has lapsed. Things have happened. Uh, years have gone by. But today is the day of a new beginning. Because today, the sun rose, and the Bible says that his mercies are new every day. His mercy is great and new every day. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow, I don't know. I'll be here. But today is the opportunity to do something new. Amen? Glory to God. Christ counsels the church. Nevertheless, I have... This against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Notice how he keeps on saying, repent, repent, repent. God, you're being a little harsh with me. No. 
repent. Repent. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not something to be insulted over, you know. Um, I have a few people that I hold myself accountable to, and they'll call me, and, you know, uh, I'll share, you know, certain things, and right away they say, you know what, just repent. Ask the Lord to, you know, heal you and cleanse you from that and, and repent. And before, to me, repent was like an insulting word. Like, what? don't tell me to repent. Well, what did Jesus say? What did Peter say? What did John say? Over and over, we look in the scripture. Whenever somebody came to him, they said, the first thing they said is, well, say this prayer after me so you'll be saved. They didn't say that. They said, repent. Repent. Now, what do you have to repent for? That's between you and God. Not for me to, to judge you or know if you don't want to share it with me. Although the word does say, you know what, bring your transgressions to one another so that they can pray for one another. That's between you and God. But the first thing we need to know is repent. And God will honor that. What happens when we lose our first love? Because he said, you know what, you've lost your first love. What happens when the passion we once had for Christ is replaced by the legalism, the legalities, or the self-righteousness, or by mechanical form of Christianity that contains all the externals but lack the internal passion that once stirred in our hearts. Because that can happen. And that's happening to a lot of older, mature Christians. We have become complacent in the things of the Lord. And we have allowed, you know, um, what was the word I want to use? Can't think of the word right now. But we have looked away, compromised. We have compromised in the walk. And Jesus is not a compromising kind of guy. He told us in the scriptures, he was firm, he was direct with us. He says, this is what you did, or if not, you will not see the kingdom of God. Ah, you know what, I've done that before, and he didn't judge me or condemn me or, you know, nothing happened to me. So we become complacent, and we compromise. And we think that a little sin is okay. Because it's not harmful to us or to anybody else. And this is the analogy I always use, you know, when you go to the beach. You go to the beach and you're looking for a spot where to lay your ice chest and this and the other and your blankets and you find a spot and you lay it out, you know, and there you are with, with, uh, with uh, your fold-out chair and you're sitting down and, you know, you're, you're looking at the water and you're staring and the water looks very inviting, you know, and so what happens? You get up and you decide to go in the water. And you get up from your chair and you go straight into the water. And you're in there playing. You know, you're having fun. You're not harming anybody. Somebody bumps into you. They're like, hey, no worries, bro. You know, we're having fun. And, and, and when you want to get out of the water and go back to your seat, what happens? You're way over there. Or yourself's way over there. Why? Because the current has taken you. And you're having fun. And you're not hurting, any, hurting anybody. And you're not harmful to yourself. Or, but you know what? That's how sin is. 
Sin will take us little by little. It's an insidious thing. I love that word insidious. Paul, what does insidious mean? <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot, bro. Insidious, meaning something that looks, you know, very subtle, very harmless, but it has, you know, tremendous uh, uh, consequences. Devious. The devil is not, he's not stupid, man. You know? But greater is he that is in us than what? Than he that is in the world. Amen? For we are more, con we are conquerors. Amen? We need to stand on the word of God. That's all we have. Listen, when you read Ephesians and the armor of God and, and the full armor, everything is, everything in that, in, in, in that description is a defensive weapon. Defensive. Shield, belt, helmet. Only one offensive weapon is listed on there. The sword. Two-edged sword. That is the living word of God. And that's how God and Jesus do away with the, with the devil. He says, it is written, devil. And the devil knows scripture. He really does. Because he quoted scripture, although not all through, you know, word for word. But he quoted some scripture to Jesus. But Jesus came back, man. And he just, you know what? Away with you, devil. Get behind me. And then Christ cautions the church. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If they don't repent, if they don't return to their first love, he will remove the fire of his spirit from their midst. And I see that. I shared with you earlier, you know, I had the, 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 man, great opportunity to just see different churches and what they're doing, you know, and God is moving in a lot of these churches, but in a lot of others, you know, and you can, you can go not too far down from here. They're, they're all over. You go by and you see them in the corners. Look at, they still have their buildings. They still have their programs. They still have their schedules. They still attract new people every week. Right? But the power of God is missing. The power of God is missing. The Bible says, what is, what is the benefit? Someone to, you know, gain the world and lose the soul. What is the profit of man? The focus is on the wrong target. We're focusing on things that we shouldn't be focusing as a church. We're doing things that we think are going to be, you know, attractive to people, and yet we're denying, you know. What does the, what does the Bible say in, in, um, in Romans? They, they started to worship the creation instead of the creator. And that is... That can be very dangerous. I'll leave it at that. Second Timothy 3 and 7 says, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We learn, we learn, we learn, and we think that knowledge is power and salvation, and it isn't. 
men will know the truth and the truth will set us free. But the knowledge of it is knowing that it's true and the truth comes through Jesus Christ because grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's very important to understand and to know and to really take fast of that and say, you know what, I'm going to hold on to Scripture. It is a dangerous thing to go through the motions of Christianity without a passionate love for Christ. In conclusion, he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, listen, to him or her who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. How awesome is that? But did you notice there's a condition there? You know? Yeah, God is an unconditional loving Father and, you know, He doesn't love you more than He loves me and vice versa. But there's a condition there. He says, to Him who overcomes... And that's what we should be, overcoming day to day. My wife will tell you a, a list of things that are wrong with me. Oh, he's like this, he's like that, he's like this, he's like that. And that's okay because you know what? We all have those faults. We all have issues and idiosyncrasies and things that, you know, don't make us perfect as men. Because men, we're all jacked up. Right? However, the spirit man, there needs to be change and recognition. And there needs to be a level of measurement where I can tell you, hey, as a spirit man, I can do this, what I wasn't doing over there. Bible says, you know what? Keep your mouth quiet lest you open it and let people know you're a fool. I've learned when my wife and I get into those awkward moments to keep my mouth shut. I've learned that. And there's a slew of benefits that come out of that. Number one, we're not continuing on this, you know, what you say, you, this tug of war. But the more, most rewarding thing for me is I can look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I've matured in this area. Yet I have a lot more maturing to do. Thank you that you're holding me back and helping me in this area of my life. We need to be overcomers, folks. Working every day to overcome the things that the devil has. Because you know what? The devil has... He's using all the old same tricks. He has nothing new under his sleeve. Same old, same old. And we still, well said, Madeline, we still fall for it. Why? Why? Because there's a level of maturity that we have to attain, and we're not quite there yet. 
And it's okay to tell yourself, I'm not quite there yet. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. He'll get us there. And we'll be perfect when we come into his glory. Amen? Hallelujah. This is why the message, although addressed to the church as a whole, comes down to the individual here in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the church is saying. What is God saying to you this morning? That's my question. I want to leave you with that. What is God saying to you this morning? I believe he's asking each of us to do the same thing. He asks of the church of, at Ephesus. He's asking to remember where we once were. To remember our first love. To remember what attracted us to the invitation of saying yes to Jesus Christ. And how we acted thereafter. How we were giddy. I mean, I don't know if you got giddy or not. I didn't, you know, as a male Hispanic man, we don't say giddy, you know. Like, I, 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 you know, I was like, I'm a man, you know. So I'll say, I got giddy. <laughs> but, but do you remember when you first fell in love with Christ? Well, it was all about Jesus, right? It was like wherever you went, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You know, he saved me. And where, where's that at now? Because in reality, that is the only thing and the only substance and the only source that will keep us going day to day to day. That You know what? We don't forget our first love. Because in doing that and, and, and remembering him in that way, it will catapult us. It will impulse us to doing greater things. He says, you know what? I've done this, that, and the other. And greater things you will do. But yet we hinder ourselves by not doing it because, well, you know, that wasn't that time. That was for those days. Or, eh, you know, the pastors and the elders can can do that. And it's nice to come to church and everything is set up, you know, and the chairs are in place and this out and the other and why, oh, he's, you know, Frank's got it. Frank can do it. Yet we don't know that Frank is working, you know, 12-hour days. I mean, I used to call him sometimes. He'd be here at 8 o'clock at night on a weeknight. Frank, what are you doing there? Madeline kick you out? What, what's, going, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm here. You know, this needs to be done. This needs to. And I would look at my wife and like, wow. You know? I don't mean to put you on the spot, Frank. But I'm saying, you know, what's my point? It's all of our jobs. Go back to where we once, you know, hey, I love you, bro. What can, I, what can I help you with? You know, what do you need? What do you need from me? I remember, you know, when I first got saved, people wanted to go to Bible studies. I'm like, I'll pick you up. Not even asking, well, where are you living? You know? And so I asked this guy, we're going to go to uh, Raul Reese's church over here in Diamond Bar. And I asked this guy, I said, bro, don't worry about it. You know what? Do you want to go to Bible study? I got you. I'll pick you up right after work. Where you, where you live? He says, I'm in Burbank. <laughs> this is no joke. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm in Burbank. He says, what time are you going to come pick me up? Picked him up once. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Picked him up a few times, but I say, you know what, bro? Um, maybe you should find a church closer to your house. <laughs> 
we need to do for the brethren. That's my point. This morning, God wants us to be more, to wants you and me, both of us, to go back to remember that moment in time and having that in our memory. He wants us to return. He wants us to come back to him, to come back to our first love, to the place and time in our lives, to where he was everything, as I mentioned earlier. And once that begins to happen, I really believe this, because I also believe that, you know, churches are going to go back down to the uh, Book of Acts times. They're going to start meeting in houses. And I can tell you I've been um, blessed to see a lot of little small churches that are starting in, in, in their homes. You know? And I believe that we're going to go back to that. However, the more and more we do this, that we come to Christ and we return to the first love, the more explosion we're going to see in the body of Christ. The things are going to become to start happening where, you know, signs and wonders are really going to begin to happen because the Bible says that he's going to pour his spirit on all creature. That the daughters will prophesy. Sons will prophesy. We're not too far from that, folks. I believe that we're, you know, we're getting close. And if the Lord will give me another 30 years, you know, I'm going to see some significant stuff that is written in prophecy. But I'll tell you, if we don't see it, your kids are going to. I really believe that. Because, you know, God is going to say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And if he's Mexican, he's going to say, yes, do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the word, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that you still hold the church in your hand, that you still stand in the midst of the seven lamps, that you, Father God, your word does not come back void. Father, I pray that the hearts and the ears and the minds of everyone that is within the reach of my voice have been ministered to, Lord, in one way or the other. Lord, that your word will touch us, Father, to give us the motivation and the discipline that we need to go back to our first love. We thank you, God, that you are a God of mercy and a God of grace, but you're also a God of judgment that you will hold us accountable for everything we've done. For James says that to those that know to do good and don't, to them it is a sin. And so, Father, I come, Father God, repentful of my shortcoming and that you will just use me to glorify you and your kingdom, Lord. And we pray for Joy Christian Center, Father. We're excited for the new things you're going to do in and within them, Father. Father, we know that this church, Father God, holds true to the word. We know that this church loves you, Lord. We know, Father God, that this church is open to God ideas. We know, God, that this church, Father God, will test those that call themselves apostles. And they're not. 
We know, Father God, that this church will recognize a liar when they see them and rebuke the devourer, Lord God, and put Satan behind them. We know, Lord God, that this church is called and ordained by you and that no man has precedence over it. This is not a man-made church. This is a God-made church. And that is why it has lasted 35 or 40 years. Because your hand is on it. Father, we thank you, Lord. And though crying comes by night, joy will come in the morning. We thank you, Lord God, for new opportunities. We thank you, Lord God, for a new direction. We ask, Father God, that you will raise leaders in this church to take over and encompass, Father God, even Glendora and throughout the neighboring cities. That this church will truly be the light on the hill. Father, let us continue looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. Because it is for your joy that was set before you that you endured even the pain of the cross. And we thank you for that, Lord. We are so ever grateful that it is by faith that we are saved and nothing that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Thank you for putting up with me for 45 minutes. Thank you so much. <laughs>